0: John chapter 12, verse number 27 is where we'll begin. The Bible says this, Now is my soul troubled. What shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. For this cause come I unto you this hour. Father, glorify thy name. Then came there a voice from heaven saying, I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. And the people therefore that stood by and heard it said that it thundered. Others said an angel spoke to him. Jesus answered and said, This voice came not because of me, but for your sakes. Now is the judgment of this world. Now shall the prince of this world be cast out. And I, if I be lifted up from the earth, will draw all men unto me. This he said, signifying what death he should die. The people answered him, We have heard out of the law that Christ abideth forever, and, has, and, hath, uh, and sayest thou, the Son of Man must be lifted up. Who is this Son of Man? Great question. People still asking that today. Then Jesus said unto him, Yet a little while is light with you. Walk while ye have the light, lest darkness come upon you. For he that walketh in darkness knoweth not whether he goest. While ye have uh, light, believe in the light, that ye might be the children of the light. These things spake Jesus and departed, and did hide himself from them. But though he had done so many miracles before them, yet they believed not on him. That the sayings of Isaiah the prophet might be fulfilled, which he spake, Lord, who hath believed our report? To whom hath the arm of the Lord been revealed? Therefore they could not believe, because that Isaiah said again, He hath blinded their eyes, and hardened their hearts, that they should not see with their eyes, nor understand with their heart. Be converted, and I should heal them. Then these things said Isaiah, When I saw His glory, I spake of Him. Lord, we thank You for this time. We thank You for this message and the truths recorded here from the Gospel of John. May we never get over the beauty of the cross. And Lord, you were lifted up on the cross. And because of the price that you paid on the cross of Calvary, we all have hope of eternal glory. One day we will be with you. Lord, we live in a world that asks a lot of questions. Why? How long? Must I go through this suffering, through this pain? And Lord, once we receive you as our Savior, once we know we're on our way to heaven, Lord, we have the hope. I pray that if there's one today that doesn't know you as Savior, they don't know they're on their way to heaven, that Lord, your Spirit in these next few moments will convict their heart, their need for you. May this message be clear, concise. And Lord, I pray for the Christian today who's grown stagnant in their walk with you. I pray that today there will be a rekindling the fire within them. The Spirit of God will, will burn a fire that continues on and that they may pass on this light we are going to talk about today. And we ask this in your name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. The title of my message today is A Passion for the Passion. A Passion for the Passion. There should be no greater pursuit in the Christian life than to have a close relationship with God, there is no greater pursuit. We may pursue to uh, to higher knowledge of different fields uh, of academia, and, and we may uh, pursue to try to find medicine, and we may pursue to uh, to be the best in a specific field. But ultimately, for the Christian life, there is no greater pursuit than to have a close, intimate relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ and God the Father. Before my wife and I got married, we met uh in September of twenty fifteen. And uh, hard to believe we've been together for just now about uh about seven years and we we've known each other. And uh and I remember I remember seeing my wife for the first time before we got married, before uh we we, we dated or anything like that. Uh my wife and I were kind of in a group, a big friend group, our freshman year of college, and uh and and so we knew of each other. We had seen each other in passing. We had said hello to each other, and uh, and I remember I, I knew specific things about her. I knew that uh, she uh, she was from Tennessee. I knew that she worked on the campus restaurant and uh, was a great waitress there, and and uh, had had good reviews. And I knew she liked soccer, and and uh, she participated in a lot of the the soccer events, uh, an intramural soccer of the college, and and uh, and I knew those things about her. But there's a difference between knowing about somebody and having a relationship with somebody. And sometimes we as Christians, we know a lot about God. We read His Word. We come on Sundays. We hear facts about God. But do we make those facts intimate and do we desire throughout the week to know God in a deeper way? Understanding His characteristics. Understanding what grieves Him. What makes Him proud. What it glorifies Him. Or do we just stay content to just know about Him? It's a special thing. I'm so glad that I chose to know more about my wife and to establish a relationship with my wife. Our journey together has been great. I, uh, this past week, I'm more thankful for her than I've ever been. She went away to Tennessee for a whole week and it was just me and the dog. And it was quiet. And uh, I'm thinking, oh boy, alright, I can turn off the, the heat, I can turn off the AC and save some money and boy, I got cold. And I had to turn on the heat, I had to turn on the AC and I, I wimped out and uh, I had to have just the TV running just for noise. It was so quiet in our apartment. And our dog didn't know what to do with herself. She's just running around in circles. Where's mommy? Where's mommy? Where's where's uh, where's uh, the the woman that feeds me? And she's pestering me and all these different things. And uh, and uh, I'm thankful that she came back. And uh, I'm more thankful for all that she does and and helping me. And I love our relationship together. And I look forward to when she would call me throughout the week. And I want to know, hey, how's your day? And she want to know how my day was. She want to know what the good things about uh, work and and all the things that are taking place in the apartment. And are we still good? Are we still uh, are we still all right? And I want to know. Hey, how's your grandfather? How is your how are your parents? Tell them I said hi. And and, uh, and knowing uh, about her, but but knowing uh, what she likes and making sure that she's comfortable and making sure that the the baby is healthy and that she's healthy. There's a big difference between knowing about somebody, and 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 I'm I'm so thankful we've been we've been married now just about two and a half years, and uh, we have not arrived in our relationship by any stretch of the imagination, right? Some would still say that's the honeymoon stage. Uh, When I when I uh, got marriage counseling, the very beginning, we had two pastors give us uh, marriage counseling, and they both said this. They said keep your relationship in the honeymoon stage. Don't lose that fire. Don't lose that passion to know each other. And no doubt today, as I speak to this, and there are many uh, folks that are married here in in the pews, and I don't know everybody, but perhaps today there's somebody who you've allowed your relationship with your spouse to grow cold. You don't care when they have low days. You don't care when they have high days. You you just uh, live together and you have your agenda and they have their agenda and that works for you. You do whatever you want and they do whatever they want and at the end of the day, you come home at night and you sit around the table and you just kind of eat and you're like, okay, let's go watch TV. And it's just somebody that you're with. You come to church and it feels a little awkward if you were to reach over and grab their hand. To put your arm around them would be unnatural to you. But perhaps at the very beginning of your relationship, when you got married to them, the fire was alive and, and you, you held their hand and you gave them a kiss and you weren't embarrassed to say, this is my spouse. I love them. I love being with them. This is great. And you you kicked him out and, and maybe a spouse is on the couch now. You can't stand their snoring anymore. Before you thought it was cute. And now it's, oh no, not anymore, right? And unfortunately, while I talk about marriage, I want to correlate this to our relationship with God. Our relationship with God God becomes more of a religion than it is real. We know about God. And perhaps at the very beginning when we got saved and we understood that that, uh, Jesus died for our sins and we called on Him to save us, we said, this is great. This is wonderful. I'm all in. I'm going to be at church every day. I'm going to read God's Word every day. I'm going to pray to Him every day. This is a beautiful thing. This is a marvelous thing. I can't get over this have that passion. But then over time, it grows cold. Well, I, I don't care if I miss service. I don't care if I miss a couple services. Eh, I already know what the Bible has to say. I haven't memorized it or anything, but I, I know pretty much what it's going to tell me. i got a good moral compass. I know what's right and what's wrong. And then we just come to church just because it's a religion to us. Same old, same old. Put the ticket in the box, punch the card, and walk away. I did my service for the week. And that is our relationship with God, it's just a timestamp. It's just doing things just because, just because. And we're content with that. But may I introduce to you that we need a passion for the passion, we need to look back to the cross. It is the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ that is the starting point of every relationship with Him. It is when we fail to look at it. It is when we fail to have a passion for it that our relationship with Him becomes cold. It's then we begin to drift away and we get away from from the beauty of it and the wonder of it and and what it means to us and we start living the religious life and, well, I just need to do this. 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 If I just do this, I'll be okay. But God doesn't want you to be a doing Christian. He wants you to be a being Christian. Can I remind you, He doesn't call us a human doing. He calls us a human being. Now in having a relationship with God, there are some things that are required within it. It is a both doing and a being. But unfortunately, we become just strictly doing. Can I ask you this question in the last week? Have you sincerely had the presence of God with you? Did you go to work in the power of God? Did you say, God, I cannot do this work apart from You. God, I need You. Lord, show me something in in, in Your Word today that that helps me. And as I minister to folks that are both saved and unsaved, may You give me a truth that will help me to be an example for You. Or do you just read it because I have to? It's just part of my day. just part of my routine. Just like I brush my teeth every day, I'm just going to do it. I'm just going to do it. It's just going to be a habit to me. The cross is the starting point of every relationship for the Christian, uh, for everyone that knows Jesus Christ, their personal Lord and Savior. So let me ask you this question today. What does the cross mean to you? What does the cross mean to you? It's just a piece of wood. I worked at a church not too long ago, and, and uh, I remember speaking to the pastor the one day, and he came in, and he, he seemed a little tense, and, and I was speaking to him, and I said, uh, Pastor, what's up? What's in your mind? And he spoke to me, and he said, you know, I think, I think I'm going to remove the cross from our, from our property. And I asked him, why, why did you come to that? I'm thinking, man, well, that's a pretty big thing, right? We had a big cross in the front of the, the auditorium and had something that was kind of a focal point of our property. It was a beautiful piece. And, and he said, I think I'm going to take it down. I think I'm going to have the maintenance man take it down. I said, why is that, Pastor? And he said, well, uh, I, I have some Catholic background and, and I know some folks that are Catholic within the area and they look at the cross and, and it symbolizes the humility. Strictly the humility of Christ. And as we look at Him, we look at the cross, we see that He was naked, we see that He was crucified, and that it's, it's not a pretty scene. But Christ is victorious. And I looked at Him and I said, Pastor, I think I would agree with you if we kept Jesus on the cross. But we have an empty cross. And that symbolizes His victory. He's not on there anymore. And uh, I read a book, and we both read a book and challenged each other in an area, and, and uh, we both came to the same conclusion. The cross is important. The cross is the foundation for our faith. And so this morning, I want us to look at three aspects of the cross that should be at the forefront of our mind if we are going to have a close relationship with God. You ready this morning? The first point I want to bring to you today is the servants contrasted. The servants contrasted. If you read throughout the Bible, you'll find two major characters, two major servants mentioned in the Bible. These two characters, number one, the first one is a, is mankind. Mankind bound by sin. Mankind bound by sin. Romans chapter 5, verse number 12, reminds us of this. Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. My friend today, you and I are or were in bonds of sin without ever escaping. You had no ability apart from yourself. Why? Because uh, at the very beginning, if we were to go all the way back to creation, all the way back to the very time that God started to build the world and He He formed Adam and Eve and He told them, hey, in the Garden of Eden, uh, you can eat of any fruit, but there's one fruit I've, I've said, it's mine. It is set apart from all the others. It's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Don't take any fruit off of that. And you know the story, Satan came along and the serpent and, and said, yea, hath God said? You really think you shouldn't touch that? Does God really have your best interest in mind by telling you to not eat of that tree? Doesn't it look good? The Bible says that Eve looked and, and saw that the tree was good for fruit and that it was Pleasant, to be desired and, and she took of that fruit and she realized immediately that she was uh, naked and, and she hid herself and, and she, she gave the fruit to Adam and he did eat as well, and the two of them were naked and, and they realized that they were sinning. they knew that they were, had done wrong, their conscience had burned within inside of them, and they hid themselves from the presence of God. And at that moment they realized we're in trouble. And my friend, each of us today need to realize we are in trouble. You see, there is no amount of good works that will ever outweigh you being a sinner. If I were to ask you today, how many lies does it take for you to be a liar? You would say, just one. How many things do you have to steal in order for you to be a thief? Just one. How many sins does it take for you to be a sinner? One. So we are all condemned. We just read Romans 5.12, but next we see 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse number 22, For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. In Adam we are all dead. We are all descendants of Adam. Every single one of us. You trace down the lineage, you go all the way through the thousands of years of uh, genealogy, all of us at the end of the day are related to Adam. And because of that, because of the sin that's passed down from Adam all the way to us, there is a penalty for our sin and that is death. I'm reading a book right now about uh, post-World War II uh, Europe and, and it's speaking about how uh, the world is transitioning from Nazi Germany and, and all the concentration camps that are uh, around that area and how they are establishing them and, and the great bonds of those folks, many uh, Jews and other uh, people that were Christians and uh, priests and all those different things, uh, they were all within these concentration camps and they were bound. And if you think about it, many of you, if I say the name Auschwitz, you immediately think a death camp. That's what it was. It was a sentence to be killed. And it wouldn't be a quick one. It would, be, uh, it would be in many different forms, all, all graphic. and all. As we look back in history, we just uh, clamor at the thought of this actually happened to real people. And, and if you go over there and you see the bodies, uh, it, it's an amazing thing. I went down uh, not, uh, a few years back to Washington, D.C., and they have the Holocaust Museum. And I remember walking through and, and discovering the, the pictures and things. And, and as you walk in, they give you a card to somebody. And that is kind of the identification card, and it speaks about this person was actually in a concentration camp, or they were in prison, or they were, they were in bonds of some sort. And you kind of walk through the, 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 um, the, the museum there, and you get to the end, and you find out the fate of this person. And I remember looking at it, and, and one page at a time, reading about this specific person and all the persecution that they went through. And ultimately getting to the end and finding out that they had passed away of terrible means. Brutal murder of these Nazis and these, these fascist leaders and, and thinking about it and, and, and saying, wow, uh, th- this is an emotional thing. Wow, uh, this is something that actually happened. And my friend, whether or not you choose to believe it, you are bound by sin. And this sin will produce a death. A separation from God for all of eternity in a place called hell. Something our minds can't even fathom this morning. Just not only the fact of being in hell, but being separated from God. There is no hope, my friend. There is no alternative. There is no second chance. Once you pass from this earth, if you don't know Him as your Savior, it will separate you. The cross is what separates us. The cross is the dividing point between uh, somebody being bound by sin and being free. The Bible says in Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord, which brings us to our second servant contrasted. We're bound by sin with no hope, no way of escape. Death is right on the forefront of our door. Separation from God is imminent. But there's a second servant, and that is Jesus Christ, bound for the cross. We're in bonds of sin. It is a taskmaster that is evil. It is a taskmaster that is brutal. Jesus Christ was bound for the cross. Philippians chapter 2 in verse number 5, reminds of this. If you want to turn there, Philippians chapter 2, verse number 5. says this, Let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery, to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant was made in the likeness of men and being found in fashion as a man. He humbled himself and became obedient. Obedient unto death, not just any death, even the death of the cross. You see, the cross was the most brutal way to die. It wasn't quick. It wasn't like a hanging or like our lethal injection today or, or like anything like that. This was going to be a long trek. And if you were sentenced to the cross, boy, what a scary thing. Became obedient unto death, even death the cross. Wherefore, God also hath highly exalted Him and given Him a name that is above every name. And in the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow of things in our, on heaven and things of the earth and things under the earth. And that every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. Jesus Christ died to His own will. Submitted to the will of the Father, who from the very foundation of the world, according to Titus chapter 1, verse number 2, that from the very beginning He promised eternal life, the hope of every individual on this earth, He foreordained that, hey, when they sin, there is already a plan in place that will save them, that will help them, that will give them the ability to escape from this bondage of sin. And He had prescribed that Jesus Christ was going to come and He was going to die on the cross of Calvary so that you and I could be free. He would be bound for the cross, but we would be free from sin. And I praise God for it. In hope of eternal life, which God, the Ken and I promised before the world began. So we see the servants contrasted this morning, but the second, the second facet of the cross that I want us to see is the sacrifice communicated. The sacrifice communicated. If you turn to your Bibles, Isaiah chapter fifty-three. Isaiah chapter fifty-three. When I was a. When I was a uh, a junior in high school. My school was located in, in uh, Pennsylvania, just outside Lancaster. And uh, we had purposed as a school that all of our junior senior trips were going to be missions minded. And uh, we had just. We'd done junior-senior trips that were just for fun and are perhaps even educational, but uh, we had banded together and, and we, we talked to the school administrator and the pastor of the church and we said, listen, uh, we don't want our education just to be about having fun or even just being educated about the world, but we want to be soul-conscious and we want to be missions-minded as we go out. If The school is going to put out this money. Let's make it beneficial. Let's make an eternal difference. And the very first year that we launched out and, and, and started to do this, uh, my, my uh, school took a trip. It was just uh, three individuals. We were a small private school, Christian school. And, uh, and we went out to Yeshiva University. No doubt, being on the northern end of New York, there's many in here that know what Yeshiva University is. It's down, I believe, in uh, uh, Manhattan and uh, is uh, a, a prominent Jewish school, uh, university there. And uh, we had a supporting missionary that was just probably about uh, five, five blocks down the street from Yeshiva University and had this uh, pretty decent property there. And uh, what he would do is he would wake up and he would get settled at work and things like that. And he would wait around lunchtime. And he would go down to Yeshiva University and get some shawarma, amen. And uh, he would sit down there and, and he would just park up next to uh, a, a Jewish individual and, and would ask them questions and would witness to them. I would ask him, uh, what is, who is Jesus to you? And can I remind you today that, that Jesus to you is going to fall into one of three categories. This is a category that's universal for everyone. You have the first category that Jesus is, as some people would say, he's a good person. But, but can I launch to you today, Jesus falls into three categories. Number one, he's either a liar, he's a lunatic, or he is Lord. He doesn't fall into just the good person category. Well, how do you say that, Pastor Andrew? Well, if somebody was a chronic liar, would you say that that is a good person? Well, Jesus claimed multiple times that he is the Son of God. In fact, it is that claim that brought him to the cross of Calvary itself. You'll find in the Gospels repeatedly that the Jews were jealous of him. And they they claimed he was blasphemous because he was claiming to be the Son of God. The Gaul. So if he really is not Lord, then he is a chronic liar. But secondly, if anybody in here today came in here and said, "I am Lord, I am the Son of God. I can perform miracles, I can save the sins of all mankind." and did all these things, I'll tell you this, I think you were a lunatic. You're crazy. Who is this guy? Saying he's the Son of God? Saying he's uh, perfect? Saying that, uh, that, that what is going to happen? Uh, he's a lunatic. He's crazy. He can't be the Son of God. Can I pitch to you today that Jesus is not a liar. He is the Son of God. He's not a lunatic. Uh, we have many infallible proofs that show that he truly is Lord over all. That he truly is the Son of God. Even those that crucified him. Couldn't even uh, deny this fact. And as we look at this today, I want you to see Isaiah chapter 53. And and as we're talking uh, to these Jewish individuals, and we partnered up with this missionary that was down in Yeshiva University, he would ask who Jesus was. But his next question is, What do you think Isaiah 53 means? And puzzled, they, they couldn't answer that question. We spoke to about four or five different individuals. Many of them said, well, I need to, I need to go uh, talk to one of my professors, or I need to go uh, talk to uh, my rabbi. I don't, I don't know the answer to that question. And, and a lot of times we even ask them, have you ever read Isaiah 53? Many of them say, no, I haven't. And after we present who Jesus is, and that He is not a liar, He is not a lunatic, but He truly is Lord, we would read to them Isaiah chapter 53 that says this, verse number 1, Who hath believed our report? To whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant and as a root out of a drying ground. He hath no form nor comeliness. And when uh, we see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. He is despised and rejected of man, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. We have, we had, uh, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely He hath mourned our griefs and carried our sins, yet we esteemed Him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon Him. And with His stripes we are healed." As we like sheep have gone astray, we have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord hath laid on him the iniquities of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He was brought as the lamb to the slaughter, and as the sheep before his shears is dumb, so he opened not his mouth. He was taken from prison and from judgment, and, uh, and who shall declare his generation for he was cut off out of the, hand, out of the land of the living. Uh, uh, for the transgression of my people was he stricken. And he made his grave with the wicked, with the riches, and with the rich in his death. Because he had done no violence. Neither was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He hath put him to grief. When thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin... He shall see his seed, he shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see of the travail of his soul, and shall be satisfied. By his knowledge shall my righteous servant justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will divide him a portion with the great and He will divide the spoil with the strong, because He hath poured out His soul unto death. And He was numbered with the transgressors, and He bore the sins of many, and made intercession for the transgressors. When you know what Jesus Christ did, and you know that this passage of Scripture in Isaiah 53 was long before Jesus even came to this earth, and yet Jesus fits every... Prophetic portion of this passage of Scripture. He came and died on the cross. So, as we look at Isaiah 53, I want us us to look at the Passion specifically. We're looking at the sacrifice communicated. What happened on that cross? Let's look at it a little closer. First point under this is I want us to see the road to the cross. What did Jesus go through? Revelation tells us that Jesus is the Lamb who was slain before the foundation of the world. He was going to his, the slaughterhouse, so to speak. He was going to be persecuted. He was going to go through a tumultuous death for you and for me. And so, let us look a little closer at this cross. For in doing so, may we draw closer to God in it. The road to the cross, I believe, begins in John chapter 17. You don't need to turn there, but I'll just give a a quick little excerpt of what John 17 talks about. We find Him. The story picks up where Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. And he, He has already sent Judas away. He's already sent his betrayer away who who, uh, sends him out and and, and finds the Jews and the the Jews come and they're going to arrest Jesus and and in the midst of all of this this, uh, situation, in the midst of this grief and, and Jesus knowing what was going to happen, he was thinking of us. And I believe from the very time he begins this road to the cross until all the way to the end, he's still thinking of us. And he's still thinking of you. He did this for you. He's praying in the Garden of Gethsemane. And we sang a song today that, 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 that reflects that Jesus uh, was sweating, as it were, great drops of blood over the grief and over what He was going to have to go through on the cross. And He says one last time, Father, if it be that I will, let this come past from me. Don't even let this happen to me. Don't, don't, if, it, if it's not what You want, Father, don't let it happen. But if it is Your will, I will fulfill it. I will do what you want. Then later we see it in John chapter 18 we see that Judas betrays him. Kisses him and and they come and arrest him and he's brought to the high priest named Caiaphas. He's standing there, and they're trying to find judgment of Him. And and it is the Passover, and and they don't know what to do with Him. And they they, they think He needs to be killed. They think He needs to be persecuted. And and Peter slips in, and he's watching. And and finally, people come to him, and they're they're speaking to him. And they're like, hey, you're related to this guy. You're one of His disciples. And three times we find that Peter denies Jesus Christ to the face. I don't know Him. He even curses. But the story continues on. Even his closest disciple denies him. We find later that he is scourged. In John chapter 19, in Matthew chapter 27, in Mark chapter 15, in Luke 23, we find his scourging. What is that scourging that took place? History records that men that were scourged were taken down into a, a, a kind of a, a, a cave-like thing, and, and there was uh, there was a little cauldron or, or some kind of pit that would catch the blood, and, and they would stand there and they would take the hands of an individual and they would string them up uh, just so that their feet were just off the ground and, and just just right above what they would do is they would take the cat-of-nine-tails, and a cat-of-nine-tails was was a long strip of, of nine pieces of rope that are woven together, and they're woven with bone and with glass and with other sharp objects. And what they would do is uh, a, a centurion, somebody who was skilled in the area of a cat-of-nine-tails, they would take that and they would whip it, and it would spin around them and, and latch into their skin. And because they're stretched out, their muscles would be like strings on a guitar. And they would pull that. Our Lord took that for us. And the blood begins to spill. And then they gave him a purple robe and he placed it on him. If you've ever had a cut, you put maybe some tape or something sticky and it begins to scab up and then you take that tape off forgot about that. When they put that robe on him, the blood begins to scab. And then they placed the crown of thorns on him. They took a rod and they beat it into his skull. He did that for us. He was mocked. He said, Hail, King of the Jews! Hail, King of the Jews! Making a mockery of him. They spat upon Him and they grabbed His beard and they they pulled it out. He did that for us. They hit Him with a reed in the head multiple times and finally they gave Him the cross. I can only imagine Jesus knowing what He's going to go through and and it being a, a thought in His mind. And then finally they roll out the cross. They said, walk this to your place of execution. And he's taking this cross and he has this robe on and, and no doubt is the, the scars are still open and, and while the nerve is still there and this cross is not sanded, it is not smooth, it is filled with, 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 with thorns and, and, with splinters, he gets under that cross and with the muscles that were just torn away with, with the cat of nine tails, he, he's under the cross and he lifts it up. And he did that for us. The Bible records that there was a man by the name of, Simon, of Cyrene that was compelled by the people to bear this cross. And he took this cross to a place called Golgotha, a place of the skull. We have a picture here of Golgotha, and you can see it in modern days. I believe if we have that, you can see hewn out a little bit. Looks like a little bit of a skull. You can kind of see off to the right side there. Of course, it has decayed a little bit since the 2,000 years that uh, it has been there. But it's still uh, an artifact today. It's still a, a monument today. He brought that cross. And they nailed it down. They put it down on the ground. And Jesus, without a fight, allowed those centurion men To put it on the cross. For our lying, they nailed it. For our disobedience, they nailed it. For our immorality, they nailed it. For every sin of all mankind, He bore the nails in His hands. And they lifted that cross... And as He's hanging there with His hands nailed to the cross and His feet nailed to the cross, they drop that cross into the hole. He falls and He collapses. Now struggling for air and having to grimace and pulling up His hands on the nails and, and, and having to, to deal with the suffocation there, He did that for us! He reached out to us. He wants a relationship with us no matter what the cost, no matter what the price, no matter how many will accept Him, He did it for us! And they stripped that robe off of Him, no doubt had already calloused up and had already started to to clot, that blood began to clot, and they ripped it back off of Him. And He still prays, Father, Father, forgive them, for they know not, My goal is not to get us emotionally charged today just for being emotionally charged. My goal today is to present truth as it is. And may truth drive our emotions to live differently. The road to the cross. But the elements of the cross. The nails, the whipping, the scoffing. Jesus screaming, Eli! 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 About tonight? My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And it was at that moment that the sins of all mankind were placed upon him as a substitutionary payment for our sin. By his stripes, we are healed. And they gave him vinegar and he drank of it. The Bible says that he held his head and gave up the ghost. And when he died, the Bible says that the veil that was in the temple that long, long ago had separated the the main portion of of the, the temple from the Holy of Holies was ripped from the top down. Showing and signifying, now we have access to the Father he took the worst death for you and for me finally his death on the cross when jesus therefore he had received the vinegar he said it is finished that means the account is done the debt has been paid and he bowed his head and gave up the ghost his death on the cross but my friend He didn't stay on that cross. The Bible says that they went about to the others that were crucified at that time and and they were going to to break the legs of those because it was getting late. It was getting uh, towards the Passover and they didn't want anybody hanging up on the Passover. And so they they broke the legs and they got to Jesus and they had already realized He's dead. And they, they took Him off the cross and they placed Him in a borrowed tomb. You could find the tomb still today. And he was in there three days. The first day, no doubt, his disciples grieving. His mother seeing the anguish and the pain. The second day, still, what happened? What transpired just a few days ago? And The third day, Mary and Martha spread the third morning. And they went, they were going to give spices to the body. And my friend today, and still today, you will not find the body of Jesus Christ in this tomb, for He has risen, conquering death, conquering hell, laying out a path for us to receive Him. And he, he gave us the many infallible proofs that He has risen and that He showed Himself to many thousands of people and still perform miracles. And now He is seated at the right hand of the Father. He is risen! He is risen! He has conquered death! Do you rejoice in that? Amen. Or is that commonplace to you? Thanks, Jesus. Appreciate it. He didn't give you a piece of candy. He took your sin penalty on Himself. He took the worst persecution of all time upon Himself. And His resurrection shows to us today the superiority is certain. Jesus is Better than anything. You read through Hebrews, you'll find that He's better than the angels. You'll find that He's better than Moses. You'll find that He's better than Abraham. He's better than uh, the best of the best. He is the greatest. He is more superior because He is the only One that came and died for us and is now risen and seated at the right hand of the throne of the Father and ever making intersection for us, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. So what does this mean today? If He is truly superior, and He truly is certain, and He truly is risen today, what does that mean for us? What does this require It requires, number one, a call to repentance. A call to repentance. My friend, every sin you commit was laid on Him at the cross. But that doesn't mean we stab Him in the back by still committing sins today. I understand we're not perfect But the Bible tells us that if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So as we look at this today, the cross of Christ requires us to repent, requires us to say, Thank you, God! Thank You for what You did on the cross. Thank You for taking the brutal beatings and the scourgings and the whippings and the crown of thorns for me and paving a way for me to go to heaven when I die. Thank You, God! When was the last time You thanked the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ for what He has done for you? Maybe in a moment, as, as the piano plays in a little bit, maybe you need to come forward and say, God, I've become complacent. God, I've gotten away from our relationship. It was so sweet at the beginning, and now, God, I need You. God, I need to get back to a point where we are in fellowship one with another. But it also requires not only a call to repentance, a call to remembrance. A call to remembrance. I think back on my relationship with my wife, and, and uh, years ago, a few years ago, we, we were in a difficult time, and, and, um, and, and things were, were not uh, so well at the place we were at. And my wife and I, we took a, a week-long trip, and, and we drove to go see uh, her parents, and then we drove to go see, see my parents, and it was difficult. It was a difficult time, I'm not going to um, paint it any more than that. Our relationship was still strong, but there were some surrounding circumstances. We didn't know what the future had entailed. And One thing that helped my wife and I was thinking about, number one, where, where our relationship was and, and where it all began. We think about our wedding, and, and, and uh, we still uh, have tears of joy over uh, our wedding. And we think about uh, when, it, when I first uh, got the courage to ask her out on a date. Boy, was that awkward, right? And I go up there, knees shaking. Hey, would uh, 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 you go on uh, 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 just this, this little event? You know, and, and I asked her to be my girlfriend. And, and uh, then later, a few years later, asked her to be my wife. Man, we look back at that and it's a sweet time. My friend, if you don't know Jesus Christ, your personal Lord and Savior, you have nothing to look back to, but you have everything to look forward to. You can say, today definitively that Jesus Christ is your Savior. We, we want you to know that you're on your way to heaven. That is what our church is all about, is making sure that you know the good news, the Gospel of Jesus Christ. And I just portrayed it. I showed you His death, His burial, His resurrection, and that He did that for you. Will you accept His free gift? And make today the first day of your relationship with Him. Just as my wife and I, we think about our marriage and how our relationship was kindled. My friend, if you are a Christian and you've become cold and complacent in your relationship with God, look back to the cross. Look back to Him. Rekindle that fire. Lord, You went above and beyond for me. You took the penalty of sin for me. The least I can do is give my life to You. Help me to get back on track. Remember the day you got saved. Remember what He did for you. And finally, today, a call to reaction, a call to reaction. I just read the verses of First of Corinthians chapter 15 verses 55 to 57, but if you look at 50, 1 Corinthians 15:58, it says this, "Therefore, in the context of, of death being the sting and, and, and thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ, the very next verse says this: "Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast." unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord, there is still a world that needs to hear this Gospel. There is still a world that while you were listening today and you know the elements of the cross, you know what took place with Jesus as He was uh, crucified and buried and rose again, there are some that still not know. They still don't even know the name of Jesus. I heard of a missionary a few years ago, he went over to a country and and uh, he was he was just surveying the area, looking for a place where he could start a church in and, and a little bit and, and really wasn't going necessarily door to door, just seeing the land, getting a lay of the land, getting to know the people and their culture and what they're like. And he walked up to this door one day and he saw this young person and they're crying in anguish and a doctor had just come out and said, uh, it doesn't look like there's much hope. This person weeping and, and not having the hope, this missionary came and, and put his arm, not, not knowing this individual, and said, Jesus is the hope. This person with tears still in their eyes looked at him and said this phrase, Nanu Jesus, saying, Who is Jesus? Not knowing, not ever hearing this name Jesus before. We have skeptics. We have university professors that get up day in and day out and they preach not Jesus Christ is Lord, but they preach that he is a uh, false uh, teaching and then they teach that he is just made up. He is he's, he's nothing special. Uh, we need to eradicate him. We need to get rid of his teachings. We need to remove him from society. There are some today that while they repeatedly say the name of Jesus in a false light, there are some that don't even know him at all. Don't even know there is a God that loves them. So, what do we do? We are to be steadfast, unmovable. Don't move from your position of seeing the cross and letting that propel you to move forward in your life and that every day, day in and day out, you are following what Jesus Christ would want you to do. You're staying within His will. You're giving your life to Him. And there is no greater thing than to share these truths with someone else. Always abounding in the work of the Lord. There's a difference between abounding in a work and abounding in the work of the Lord. We all have jobs. We all perform different tasks. And I'm thankful for those that help. Praise the Lord. One of our, our young people just got a job the other day. Working at Bass Pro Shop. We've been praying for them for a while. And, and uh, that's, that's a great thing. But there is no greater work than the work of the Lord. And no matter what field, whatever aspect you're a part of, you need to be abounding in the work of the Lord. Giving that out. We think about Peter and his denial and eventually he came back and repented and, and got back in, in right standing with God as, as Jesus was, uh, uh, was, came, came back from the dead and he goes and he sits down at the fire with, with Peter and, and asks these three questions. Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? You know the story. He gets it right. But that denial of the Savior is still on him. We still read it today. It's penned in history, penned in the Bible. We read it even, even just a moment ago. But can I tell you this, while we point the finger at Peter and his denial, our silence of the Gospel screams denial of our Savior. If you hear the Gospel, and you know the Gospel to be true, and you've received the gospel, the good news, the death, burial, resurrection, but you fail to tell your neighbor. You fail to tell your coworker. You fail to give it out as he commands and he so lovingly implores us to do. Your silence screams denial to our savior. Let it be known. It was for me that he died. I'll close with this song. There's a song entitled, For Me, He Died. The author asked several questions. It says, why leave a heavenly mansion? Why choose a simple stall? Why wander poor and homeless the King and Lord of all? Why heal a lonely beggar? Why cause the blind to see? The light of all creation, shining there for me. It was for me He cried. For me He died. For me He shed His blood upon a tree. It was for me He came. For me His shame. For me, O praise His name, it was for me. Why stay in Olive's Garden? Why spend the night in prayer? Why suffer such betrayal and anguish kneeling there? Why leave His mother crying? Why set Barabbas free the spotless lamb of heaven given there for me? The king who came from heaven to the cry there is no room now must lay his weary body in a cold and borrowed tomb, but the grave it could not hold him. Death has lost its victory. The light, the Lord, the risen Lord of glory is living now for me. It was for me He cried. For me He died. For me He shed His blood upon the tree. It was for me He came. For me His shame. For me, O oh, praise His name. It was for me. Lord, we thank You for this time. We thank You for this message. Father, I fear that there are some today, even myself, that have become complacent as we sing just over in the glory land. We we don't shed a tear anymore over the old rugged cross. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound is. Just the simple sound that comes from the piano and it doesn't affect our hearts anymore. The love of God is greater far than tongue or pen could ever spell. We've gotten over the beauty of the cross it has become commonplace. Lord, forgive us today. Forgive us of our complacency and, uh, Lord, our, our, our monotony. May You reveal today Yourself and Your glory. Lord, we looked at the cross just as the people of Israel looked to the serpent that was lifted up in the wilderness and, and they were healed of their infirmities. We look to the cross today for the healing of our sin. Father, may we all come down and lay at the cross. Thank You for Him.